Are you ready? Ready to release internal pain? To find confidence, clarity, and direction for your future? To live a life of meaning, fulfillment, and contribution? To trust your intuition again, but something's been holding you back? You've come to the right place. Welcome. I'm Ian Hawkins, the host and founder of the Grief Code podcast. Together, let's heal your unresolved or unknown grief by unlocking your grief code. As you tune in to each episode, you will receive insight into your own grief, how to eliminate it and what to do next. Before we start, I have one request. If any new insights or awareness land with you during this episode, please send me an email at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com and let me know what you found. I know the power of this work and I love to hear the impact these conversations have. Okay, let's get into it. In a world where men tend to want to show how tough they are in other ways, uh, Blaze Grinner is bringing emotional intelligence to the world in a way that even the toughest man will understand. And this is a skill that he developed from quite a young age. And some of the stories he tells in, in leadership and, and helping these grown men who have known nothing but really tough life and being able to show them that they can open up, that they can find a softer side, they can speak up and let go of so much of the stuff that they're carrying, so much of the pressure and the weight. If if you're a, a man who's experienced this or you are, you know one that needs to give themselves some space and, and take some of the pressure off. You'll absolutely love this chat with Blaze. Uh, we get pretty deep uh, when he talks about uh, some of his experiences um, where, yeah, let's just say traumatic experience where he saw the world through a completely different lens and uh, there's so much value in that for for those that are at that point where they just need a different perspective they need to release the pressure and uh, you're going to really love this chat with Blaze Grinner. G'day, everyone. Blaze Grinner, how are you, mate? Good, mate. Like I mentioned, even better seeing that you're in a para jersey. <laughs> Absolutely. Always good to connect with another para tragic. Uh, <laughs> we've already had a laugh at our own expense before we hit record, so we might best move past that as quick as possible. So... We, we were just talking before we came on. We've mm. been connected on Facebook for a long time. You feel like you sort of know someone without actually knowing them, and this is the first time we've actually connected, so it's great to chat. And you do a lot of awesome work in the space, particularly with men, much-needed work. What was the inspiration to get into that space originally? Yeah, so the I was in construction, so I was, in, I was a... Uh, age of 24 became a foreman inside the civil uh, in, inside construction in the civil industry and so from a very young age i was immersed in that macho bravado culture of men hiding like masking their emotions their yep. feelings and having to puff their chest up pretending to be someone that they weren't just to try and fit in um even like the apprenticeship culture like the way that it was like um the especially with the work I do around initiations, like the being an apprentice on the construction, that's like the worst form of initiation through shame and ridicule. And like, um, yeah, so that was my biggest, um, 
that and rugby league. Uh, I played high level rugby league. So both of those fed, they allowed me to see the lens of like, man, men need help. Um, though within construction, within rugby league, I led everything. And so I enjoyed leadership. I, I captained every rugby league team I, I played in. Age of 24, became a foreman. And I've also really enjoyed getting to know people, like really genuinely giving a fuck about people like, and their story. Yeah. And yeah. so as a young foreman, uh, because I gave a fuck about my team, like it was like they're my family, they're my brothers. And there's a reason why I was so wanted that. Um, that my teams always outperformed everyone. They did, they excelled and everyone would be part of the team. But the awesome. simple thing was because I actually cared about them. I knew what yeah. all their children's names were, their wives' names were, what ask them about their aspirations. And because of that, men felt safe around me. So they'd also disclose everything that they were being with. So like, at, like I was counseling and mentoring before I actually knew that I was. Um, so like men were telling me about their money struggles, cheating on their wives, um, their relationship issues, that being an absentee father, the the, the four the, the separated families, like every struggle that these and these men were double my age. So wow, it's great gooses, man. It's like, yeah, um, it's really hitting me, but like how much pain these men were in, like like they were deeply painful, and just having someone that allowed them just to speak openly and freely um, was all that they needed. <sighs> Mate, I mean, goosebumps all over as well, massively. Uh, so my coach um, last couple of years, not at the moment, but they worked in mining and they were running the office and same sort of experience. She's the sort of person that builds trust really quickly like yourself and they were coming in and she was just having a conversation with them about life and then she found that they were coming in earlier and then creating that safe space and what a life changer for all of these men to be able to open up. But what's interesting is, and this is good for the business owners, particularly if you're in bigger business, is performance and results went absolutely through the roof. Mm-hmm. Was that your experience as well for your team? 100%. 100%. The, um, I, the, the the work ethic that these men have is like nothing was ever below them. It's like, hey, man, we've got to work a Sunday. Yeah, man, whatever you need, whatever you need, bro, whatever yeah, you awesome. need. And it, and the other thing too was, and this was what the company used to get me, that they're like, if you pick up the hammer again, if you pick up the nail again, we're going to sack you. So <laughs> yeah, right. Like, because... Like I was in the trenches with the men. So like, yeah. if like, yes, I'd have to organize, run everything. But if I had my job sorted, I'd get in and help the men. So nothing was below me either. Um, so I think from that aspect, and um, that also helped within the, the production and the work ethic for the, for the men. Um, but yeah, 100%, the performance, just their overall well-being. Like you said, like to come early to work means that they yeah. want to be there, which means yeah. their life now has meaning. They, they, yeah. They're not stuck in that groundhog day, like loop, and that survival. They actually want to be there. And um, there's a, I won't say the company because there's like an NDA. Um, is I've been privileged that the data that they've collated over the past 18 months, and the, there's about 3,000 employees, and um, it's over 70% um, have filled out this survey, and over 70% of that that the company 
people think that they they feel like they have to hide who they are at the at the at the workplace. Over over half, like seventy yeah, percent. Wow. It's like wow. Imagine I'm surprised it's not more. Yeah, and well, that's that's how many people actually filled the survey out. Yeah, right. So yeah, it's uh, it is, and this is just through one industry. This is I see it so much. Hmm. Um, I want to keep going on that track, but I just had something sort of come aware to me is that I already get the strong sense that you have the capacity to hold space for big groups of people, like for the listeners, because the vast majority, if not all of the people that listen have that same skill set, but perhaps don't fully understand it. Mm -hmm. how, how does that show up for you when you're carrying a lot of other people's baggage? And how do you actually navigate that in a way that allows you to keep doing the work that you do? Yeah. So this is something I, I, I had to learn and I learned through adversity and burnout Yeah, is uh, I had to start to learn and understand the energy game. Um, because all this stuff like this trauma and, and, and these experiences as people were, uh, confiding within me, I was allowing that, their story to actually penetrate me and I would, um, empathize with them. And so I, I'd start carrying the, the weight of the world on my shoulders as well. So what I had to re what I really had to do is care, but not give a fuck. And mm, that's good. And so, like, genuinely care, but don't give a fuck about it, and understand that, like, that's their journey, that's their karmic cycle that I can support and help and guide. But like, that's there, and draw lines that have like really firm boundaries. Um, especially when I was new to coaching and everything, it's just like, yeah, man, hit me, I'm like, yeah, and I was just like constantly chatting. Whereas now, yeah. setting yeah. boundaries and parameters, and especially like phones are amazing they're the, one of the most powerful tools that we've been gifted um though they're managing time and space really well um yeah. i even said to my wife i haven't been in the water surfing for four weeks and it's my it's my sole cup filling thing because i've just filled my too much like too much stuff so this morning every tuesday 5 a.m let's go for a surf so this morning went for a surf filled my cup came back she's how, how are you i'm like babe i'm back i can feel that zing back like i, I feel alive like i feel full yeah. i don't feel like i'm depleted um so yeah just navigating boundaries is a uh, very um it, it was challenging at the start but then but once i was able to implement them is the, then i was able to protect my energy like that yeah, and you've, you've highlighted something really important for all people to realise, men and women, is that you need to find out what that, that recharge, that renewal process is. Strangely, mm -hmm. uh, for me, I kept getting told from, from people the same message, uh, it's running. I'm like, yeah, but I hate running. And the interesting thing is since I've made a commitment to be running three times a week, I'm actually falling in love with it a little bit, which is <laughs> my wife has been a runner for a long time, just laughs at mm -hmm. me going, who, who are you? <laughs> but it's, it's because of it's because of just what it gives, like what you described there. When you get on back, it's like it's like mm -hmm. instantly just go like shift out of whatever funk you're in when you find whatever that is for you. So I, I appreciate you sharing that, Blaze. With that too, and I um with that thing that is that soul cup filling thing, uh, I also feel that it needs to be something um, that. Just you doing it or being it is it. So like even if the surf's shit, just me getting out fills my cup. I mean the salt water, it doesn't matter if I catch a wave or not. Like today, out for an hour, caught two waves, cup full. 
and I fell off once. Running, it's like whether it's rain, hail, shine, uphill, downhill, it doesn't matter. It's just you moving your body. Um, and so yes. sometimes um, I see people having that anchor, something like the gym. It's like awesome, but if it's attached to having to have a six pack and benching heavy and everything, there's a it, it, it's still doing. And it's like, is it being or is it doing? And I, I personally feel that that soul cup feeling needs to be something that is being, and there's no there's no goal. Like it's just about fun and feeling and freedom. Hundred percent, because so many men are stuck in competition. And so they make it a competitive thing within themselves and, of course, the comparison, and, and that's not the point. That was actually a big realisation for me. It's like, why, why can't I get back into running? Mm. And it was exactly that. I was comparing yep. my times to when I was running three, four years ago. Now, I, I, even though I've been playing football, like I was never going to be back at that time. I'm getting close now, mind you, but like I just decided, what if I just ran? Mm. And I just actually did it for, for what it brings. And the other thing is that literally just yesterday, I had this same thought around what you were talking about. People often exercise and they're not being, they're, they're either listening to music or they're watching a video or like even when they're walking the dog, whatever, they're, they're not present. Surfing forces presence, right? I love it, man. And it's, it's the other thing too with surfing is, if you want to talk to me, you're going to paddle out here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get on my it's, level, bro. <laughs> it's full disconnection. It's just me and spirit, man. It's just yeah. like literally yeah. in nature. Mm. Um, so if you're someone looking for that renewal, then it's important that it is a space that's just you and you where you can allow your mind, which is always busy, some time to actually do some processing. A, a lot of the time too, it's usually something we enjoyed as a kid. Always. Like skateboarding, shooting hoops, playing Lego. Like, yeah, 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 it's a good point. Um, I, I never know where these chats are going to go, but this has been really good information for people. But I want to get back to your story, so let's yeah. do that. Um, yeah. I, I can tell just by the goosebumps I got when you were talking about the impact that you were having for those men. <clears throat> and the fact that my uh, <clears throat> whole throat is clearing around this important part of your story. What what was the inspiration for for being that leader for getting so much out of helping other men? Yeah, there's been two two main catalysts. Was, one was my father leaving at seven, and so uh, not having a father, like having an absentee father and then being raised by my stepdad. Um, so I was always craving, uh, like I can't, I can't remember and I don't even think if it's happened that my dad's actually physically said, I love you. Um, and the other, I, I, I can't remember a time. I've seen it in his eyes, but I've never heard the words that I'm proud of you. Um, and I saw this reel the other day about fatherhood and it really hit me. And it, it was about, I think about a year ago, I saw it. And it said that um, those two gentlemen talking about how long do you have left with your dad? And he's like, oh, 20 years. And he's like, it's not really 20 years, man. How often do you see him every year? And he's like, oh, like, because he, he goes, oh, he's 60. So I've got to, like, if he lives to 80 or 20 years, he goes, well, how often do you see him every year? And he's like, oh, well, once a year. And he goes, well, you've only got 20 times to see your dad again. 
And I put that in perspective with my father. I was like, oh, man, my dad's in his 70s. I see him once every two to three years. Fuck, I have five times left to see my dad. And I've tried to rekindle the relationship. And it's like, man, I've gone through heaps of psychotherapy and psychology and stuff with this of that just to accept him for him and just to, like he is always going to be like that because the man that I want him to be is me. I want him to be like me, which he doesn't have that, that capacity. No matter how much I'm navigating and sharing my emotions, my needs and, and reaching out, it's just not happening. And it's like, it's uh, yeah, it, it's really hard. It's, um, it's, it's, it is it's super challenging. And I think because of that from such a deep-seated young age of how much I craved uh, like leadership, fatherhood, an elder, um, and looked at it for it in so many wrong places, I literally became that man. Yeah, right. Again, mate, I thank you for sharing that because that's going to be a big one for many. For many. Uh, and, and for this one, specifically for men, like... So what you're facing now and you've got that time, I faced that after my dad was already gone mm. and I started learning all this stuff. And I'm like, well, what do I do now? I want to ask him things. I want to talk to him and I want to be able to do all of that. So what you've just described there, yeah, no, you haven't got five years, 20 years, whatever. You've got those, those moments that, that you are creating space for. It's why I now regularly catch up and take my mum out to lunch because – it's those moments that not just for you, but for them as well. hundred mm-hmm. uh, percent, man. The, I've got three kids, or two boys and a girl, and the eldest boy just turned five. Exactly what you just said is like, I want to ask him so much. I want to ask my dad so much. He's forthright. I had my first conscious conversation with him at the age of 32 or 39 now, and he disclosed a lot of information. I asked a lot of questions, brought up a lot of shit, and he owned some stuff, couldn't remember some stuff because he was drunk. But I asked mm. him a lot about his childhood, which I got to know. Um, my last name I changed by Depot. Um, so Green is not my last real last name. Um, um, there's a lot of domestic violence. Dad was a very violent man. He's an alcoholic. And so when when I found out that my wife was my fiance at the time was actually was my fiance, hadn't proposed yet. When my partner I was pregnant with a boy. It was a boy. I was like, fuck it. I'm going to be the man of my lineage to break this cycle. So I'm going to change my last name. So I changed my last name by Depop. I And I told everyone in my life, the last person to, I rang was my dad to tell him. It was the, it was the, out of everyone, it was the most challenging one. Um, yeah. But he, he acknowledged it. He's like, yeah, I can understand why you're doing that. Just to let you know, Townsing isn't our last name either. Like, what the fuck? So this family secret came out, man. So his mum, wow. um, so he she remarried when he was two, and so Townsend was my dad's stepdad's last name. So my brothers and sisters, our whole life, he didn't even tell my mum that. And wow. so my real last name, my real birth last name, uh, like in the lineage, is Burke. <laughs> and so... I have a lot of Aboriginal mates with their last name Burke and I have a deep affinity for Indigenous culture. And it's just like, wow. But, and so I was the man in the lineage just because I changed the last name, that secret came out. Um, but back to asking the questions. So for the listeners, we can't see, but I've got three journals here. So two to my son, one to my daughter. So every Wednesday, 8.30 a.m., I started this about three months ago. 
Um, I spent half an hour journaling and writing to one child every week. And I'm going to, yeah, man. And I started thinking about like, I'm super conscious to talk as much as I can openly with my kids. But what that regret is what you have. I just wanted to know. And so I'm pouring my heart into them. Like how we speaking here is how I'm speaking to my kids. Um, so yeah, like it's um, I'm going to give them to each of them when they have their firstborn. Um, and so yeah, it's just something that I tell to so many people, and it's one of these these things too about um, success. So the most successful people um, are, are willing to have long term gratification. Like so, it's like they're they're willing to wait for the gratification. It's not these short term fixes. Like that's something, man. That it, 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 that's like a 20, 30 year project. Man. That's um, cool. Um, that's a real eye opener for me. A few different things is like hearing all these wonderful things that people were talking about. My dad at his funeral, and and realizing every funeral I've been to since is like, if only they'd been to hear to, to actually hear this. And then having conversations with my um, my wife's uh, grandparents about the war, and every day having to go into a bomb shelter, and mm. like like this history. Like we need to be part doing a better job. I actually interviewed my mum for the not not for the podcast, but for the family's benefit to, mm-hmm. to get more of that stuff somewhere so that yep. we've actually got records and mm-hmm. what you're creating there, like that's next level stuff. And wow, like what a gift to be able to give them. It, um bro, it's so healing for me. Of course. It's like because like you, I've, I've always wanted to write a book as well. And I've been talking to a couple of book write, men that have written books and people who have written books. And they're like, dude, just start. And I have a commitment to write for one minute. Just That's it. Just write for one minute. And even and I, I don't know what I'm going to write. So I write that. Hey, um, I, um, I don't know what I'm going to write. And then next thing, it just flows out. It's just like, oh, my God, I've just owned some shit. I've got to go clean my shit up. I remember like I had some, and it was my daughter, man. I was like, my daughter's not even two. And I was writing to my daughter. And within that, I'm like, oh, my, and it was, I was able to manipulate it with my mind so easily in the world around. But as soon as I wrote about this stuff to pertain to this anger and resentment I was feeling with my mum, and my wife was copping the brunt of it, um, as soon as I owned that to my daughter, I'm like, oh, don't be that fucking man. And so mm-hmm. I got up from that journal, hey, babe, I need some space, and went to this major rage exercise. Um, but it was because I was journaling to my daughter that's not going to see that for 20, 30 years, but I just – she was the catalyst of, like, I like, can't hide from that. Um, so, yeah, yeah man, it, it's it's beautiful, and I'm enjoying it. It's um, And it's – I'm trying to – give them insight into everything about my nuances. Like, and so for me, it's like, I wanted to know what my dad's greatest fear was. What was his biggest challenges? How did he handle certain situations? Like, and so I'm trying to give them insight into that kind of stuff of like how my inner workings and my inner processes. Um, uh, So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to come back to to you talked about because um, there's a fair bit where you still want to unpack here, and I want to come back to you said your dad leaving at seven was was a a massive thing. So mm. for someone who's come to the point of acknowledging and acceptance around that, and then doing the work, 
what were the patterns that played out for you through those teen years, young adult years, older years, and and how did that negatively impact you? Yes. Yeah, so it was as a young boy, I just craved to be led. I wanted a role model. And so I found that through that I remember the first role model that I dearly connected to was this gentleman by the name of David Morris is my under 11, under 12 football coach. And he was a really, really good man. He was a really solid man. And he was the first person other than my mum to call me Blazy. And he just knew how to, he'd get in my ear and he'd take me away from the team and he'd just like, just push me and drive me like a dad would. And, and he just got so much out of me on the football field. Um, and it was through his mentorship and at the age of 12, then my first rep team. But I just remember how much I loved him. Um, he, he'd invite us out for skiing. And so I'd go family trips with him and we'd go, like, go uh, boat skiing and stuff like that. And it was just, it was amazing. Like, he really brought me into his life. Um, and it was really interesting too because he had a son that was in, in our team as well. And, and, and yeah, so... Uh, so that was that was uh, the first eldership that I really craved towards, um, but then went into the different teams. But then so then started just always connect, always connected with my footy coaches, always um, this eldership role. But then at the age of like 14, 15, I started getting really good at rugby league. So I started playing A grade. So then as a teenage boy, just going through puberty around grown men. And some men that have gone through their heyday, and so they didn't make it in the league, and so they re they started reliving their adolescence through me. And so the biggest mask there's two big masks: the athletic mask are the three: athletic, aggressive, and also the sexual mask. So the more aggressive I was on the football field, the more I was celebrated. And so these wow. men would just pump me up like I was halfback, pretty skinny dude. But if I'd take people out, man. And I'd just be cheered and revered. I was like, yeah, cool. this is who you are. This is what it means to be a manager. It's the, the most toughest man I can be on the footy field. Yet, yeah. like, I was so depressed, so insecure. Yeah. Um, then the other thing, I'd get, I'd get on the tour bus. And, the, and back then, my nickname was, um, was Sugar. And they're like, Sugar, up the back of the bus. And they'd just be asking me all these sexual stories. Who'd you fuck on the weekend? How was she? Have you had a threesome yet? And then it was just really toxic, man. I remember I watched, I saw pornography for the first time at like on an under 15 um, footy trip on VHS. I was fucking 15, man. And the footy coach put that on the VHS while we went. And here I am watching porn with a, a whole group of men that are, we're teenagers. Like, yeah, what no that good. did? No, no good, man. And it was all like, it was. It wasn't nice porn either. Like, no porn. I feel is. I, I won't get out of that hole. But so that that sexual mask that was a, a big, like a really deep negative thing that happened because I objectified women. Um, and then I remember um, just the shame. I, I cheated on my first girlfriend when I was like fourteen. And I remember the shame of like I didn't get caught in the act, but her dad caught me at the back of one of the footy sheds. And I buried that shame for so long. And then for every girlfriend up until meeting my ex before my wife, so I was like 30, I cheated on them because of, and I didn't realize, but it was like that shame that I felt and that I buried, I, I didn't want to have someone do that to me. So I just, I have the one up. 
And so yeah, I was right. like, I would one up every relationship. And so it was just, it was so toxic, man. So then I became, then I, I started um, like really getting rebellious at around like 16, 17 um, and started to like be that invincible mask. Like yeah, I'm the God's gift. I was on, I had a player manager for the footy, like had NRL clubs chasing me. I was on scholarship. Um, and so I was like, I was the next footy star. And the, then I started hanging around these, these dudes that were out of school. And so they're in their early 20s dealing heavy drugs. Um, one of them went to jail. It was the biggest drug bust Queensland had had at the time. He ended up serving 14 years. Um, another one of the men that I was used to hang around, um, he's the one that shot a police officer and turned the gun on himself down at Grantham. Like, these are the dudes I was knocking around when I was 16 and I was running drugs. And so like then I got into, I, I remember I was high on speed at my formal for grade 12. Um, and so I got into that drug scene. But the thing was, it was, it was so, I remember the first meeting, I went to this pub, I was underage, it was a lunch meeting. And what they spoke about at this table, I'm like, man, I see this in mafia movies. So I thought, this is fucking so cool. I was like, I was in this thing, man. I'm going to be protected. I've got these elders and these dudes hanging around me. And literally, when we get, when we went to get up, this, the leader is like, dude, you know what the fuck happens if you speak out of school, don't you? I was like, oh, yeah, cool. I'm going to get shot. But that was cool. I was part, I belonged. I, I had this thing. And they, they, and because I was the youngest of everyone, um, they were like, I was like their little brother. They was like having a big brother. It was like, they would just look after me through everything. Like someone would give me shit, they would go sort it out. And it was just, um, so yeah, because of that, at the age of 18, I had a three-year, at the age of 18, I had a three-year suspended jail sentence. Shit. Just turned 18, man. And um, yeah, so we had a grievous bodily harm company, grievous bodily harm charge in company. And I was stick at, it wasn't, it wasn't even my fight, man. I just came in and st my cousin was getting a hiding and I stuck up for him. And then because I didn't roll on my cousin, they threw the book at me. And so I was about to serve jail for three years because I wouldn't roll. They had all this footage and everything um, because I was like stoic. We wouldn't give my mate up. Yeah. And I just remember laying in bed, man, so scared. Because I went to I went to court and the judge said to me, he's like, Where's your legal representation, young man? I'm like, I'm here with the duty solicitor. He goes, You're about to go to jail. I'm gonna adjourn for you. Go get a barrister. I was just like, what the fuck? And so I'm like, at the age of twenty, at the age of eighteen, I had a twenty twenty thousand dollar personal loan to pay for uh, my lawyer. So then money story go that's like yeah. So I, I, I it was suspended, so I didn't actually serve time. Um, hmm. But I didn't realise how bad that was. I also had three DUIs within uh, in between seventeen to eighteen as well, like drink driving charges. I was just I, that close, man, to not being here. Of yeah. like, like I, I was on a path of destruction. Like, the, lucky that only the like I could have killed people in drink driving. You know what I mean? Like, I all these like fights I was in. Like, man, there's people dying with it. Like, so yeah, I was so fortunate. So fortunate. Yeah. Like, like many men, does your mind boggle about what could have gone so much worse? Like imagine um, what three years in prison would have been like. What oh, would have done to you? Imagine bro. what if you'd had an accident. The um, So at the time, it was like 
I had that mentality that life was happening to me. Like I was just getting fucked by life. I got molested when I was nine. Like, like fuck, why has this happened to me? I was just so, I was so angry, man. Um, but now, it, with hindsight, it's a beautiful thing that I'm so relatable to every man. So I know that my why I had such a colourful upbringing and childhood and adolescence and early teenage years and early adulthood is I'm so relatable to everyone. And I know, now know this is why I'm here, to do this. And so it's like I, I don't live too far in that what if could have happened. Um, but I will say but because I, sometimes I do to use it as a motivator. Um, so there was someone close to me that attempted suicide and um, was a minute away from bleeding out. He slipped both his wrists, got 26 stitches, is 60 seconds away from, um, from dying, but he survived. And he blamed me for moving away. And because oh. um, I've left my childhood town and moved to the Sunshine Coast because of that jail sentence. Um, and I cleaned my act up, got a job with the AR Australian Rugby League. And um, yeah. It was like started the new blades, the new thing, new era. I stopped playing league as well. I stopped playing footy. Um, but that that scenario of him attempting suicide, that set me wavered. Like it just, um, yeah, for five years, got addicted to everything. Um, gambling, prostitution, steroids, uh, anything that to make me feel good for that short-term gratification. Um, like gambling, man. Like I was in a big salary construction and just put it all in the pokies and the horses and hookers and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, man. Um, for the listeners' benefit, I was having this conversation about uh, someone the other day that I know well, uh, and it's the rush, right? Like this, the rest of our life, we're numbing everything. So, so all of those pieces actually provide something that we just can't access in other parts of life. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about, about that sort of uh, experience for you and, and now how you now have taken that knowledge to be able to help people find more of that in their day-to-day. Yeah. Um, so the, there, was, there was the rush aspect, um, but there's also another aspect of I, I didn't seek, I didn't talk to anyone until I was 31. So like I had so much buried emotions and, uh, and everything that I'm disclosing to you, I hadn't spoken to anyone about um, because it was like, if you did that, you're broken. Like, mm-hmm. And so I was not just seeking the rush. I just wanted a fucking numb man. I just wanted to numb the pain that I was feeling and that, cause I didn't have the emotional intelligence to be with anything. So that's why I was using the escape. And so the, the, the yeah, there was, a, there was so much about the rush as well. And I, I'd love to talk about that because the rush aspect fed something, which is an identity that led to my spiritual awakening. But there was like the rush side of things, but also there's a lot of grief there that I hadn't, hadn't um, dealt with. Um, and so that's seeing it. where they're coming from, the addictions of like, is it the rush or is it, is it the numbing or is it a combination of both? I'll explain it like this from my experience. So, so what I was numbing was the emotional side of things because I was highly sensitive and sensory, so overloaded. So I just learned to push that shit down. So mm-hmm. numb, and I would be drawn to moments where that was okay. So to feel something, funerals, like that used to puzzle me. And you know, imagine as a teenager, like why, why am I so attracted to this? 
like sort of space, Anzac mm. Day. Like, why is this something so sad, feeling so good? Well, it's because everywhere else in my life, I wasn't allowing myself to feel anymore. And if you look at like the work we do with men, is that they've blocked off so much of this stuff that the rush is to feel something. Yeah. So I was the opposite, man. Is um, so I was super emo- like I was able to access emotions. I, I didn't have a problem crying in front of people. I didn't have a problem being angry in front of people. It was just, I was actually the other spectrum. It was just like, it was almost too much. It was like right. whatever emotion I felt, I would just fucking fully express that. Um, so for me, it was about play. So because dad left when I was seven, mum said something to me, which fucked me up. She said, you're now the man in the house. And I took oh. that literal. I At took seven. it literal. And so I, I literally was. I had, I'm the eldest of five. Uh, mum, we grew up in housing commission. So mum was working two, three jobs just to feed us. She would go without food. Like we lived pretty poor. Um, financially, abundantly, there's a lot of love that she give us, but financially poor. Um, but I was getting kids up, making their breakfast, getting up for school on their uniform. So I literally lost a childhood. So for me, with drugs, the parties and everything, it was actually about just playing, man, just fucking enjoying myself Like because I didn't have that as a kid. I was always mm. so rigid with football. It was football and because I played three games a week, trained six times a week, but I was just burning out, man. So it was either football, it was sport, academics, and then looking after the kids, raising the kids. And so I just didn't have that play, that, that place that I could just fucking let go. And so that letting go, it would feel so good when I did it. Oh, what does it feel like to have more of that? So it would go from having one hooker, I, I want to have two hookers. Rather than just two hookers, I want a hooker that looks like a mum and a daughter. Like taking it to the, the, what? how can I keep upping that, upping that, and upping that? Um, and this is how the spiritual awakening happens. So with can, all of that, yeah. Yep. Can we just pause and, and yes. let you keep going? Because you've pointed out something that for anyone who's been high level at anything, and we look at these athletes now and we, and we hold them to such high regard and, and ex- expectation, but this is the experience for so many of them, right? And so always like they, they miss out on so much and, and often people just saying yes to them constantly mm-hmm. and then we expect them to suddenly flick a switch because they're in the public eye. like, And also validating, validating the, their sense of worth for themselves, validating them in such unhealthy manners. Yeah. Aggression on the football flight, I'll just use my, like the aggression, celebrating that. So the harder I went, the, the and the more, and then the 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 better I got at football, the more accolades I got, the more teams and premierships, all that kind of stuff. I was more celebrated. So leading to these false sense of freedom and purpose that mm. are so fucking hollow. Because when they go, identity crisis. So my first identity crisis at eighteen because. I realized that my dad was glory hunting because he came back into my life when I was 12 when I made my first rep team and he was super present there. So I love that mm. dad's back and he was a photographer. Um, and so he'd be taking photos. He's super active in my life. But then when all the court stuff happened, I just had this intuition and I really want to thank my mum for like not, she knew what was going on. Um, and but when I said, I, I remember like, well, fuck it. I'm going to see what happens if I stop playing football at 18. 
if I stop playing football, will my dad talk to me? He didn't talk to me for a year. And then my mum, I remember her saying, I, I, I wanted you to find out for yourself because I didn't want to give you the fuel, but he was his glory hunting. And mm. I just thought, wow. Like it, and so I gave up the, my love of my life, the fucking thing that gave me so much purpose because of, yeah, like there was, there was the drug scene and then the dad. And then so I had a, that, that was a big identity crisis. Like, who the fuck am I? I was the mm. next footy star. I even went so far down the rabbit hole that I hated as a kid going to the footy games and you'd come home with a signature on the football and I didn't know who the fuck it was because that was just scribble. So I ensured that my name, my signature was legible so all the kids knew who the fuck I was. I was right. like, I was that, I was there, man. Like JT and I went to school together. Him and yeah. I were best mates. Um, we played A grade together when he was, I remember I was there when Canterbury come to, for his trials. There's 26 men that I went, I played with, I captained that played NRL. Um, like so many people like made it. And I was just like, yeah. So like Travis Burns, the low boys, low brothers, um, JT, Matty, Matty Ballin, all these dudes, man. Um, mm. So many, like I was right there. We might come back to that because there's a bit to unpack yeah. there. Um, yeah. But uh what you said there, I think, really important for the parents listening, because there's a that's that's kind of where this audience sits. And mm. asking yourself, are you glory hunting for your children, and are you how are you showing up at well their life around what they what you want for them, but is it what they want for them? Right. That breaking up with your parents, I think everyone needs to do that at some stage, like claiming back your manhood. Um, and becoming a father, I remember changing my boy's nappy, and I went down a rabbit hole. Um, I remember my partner and I went; we, we were in it with our second child. Uh, we got some relationship counselling, and I remember changing my little boy's nappy and thinking, "This could be another man right now." And then looking at my boy, like, "If if I don't commit to fucking sort our shit out, this could be another man doing this." And then I had this epiphany: like, "Oh man, why are you feeling jealous?" You think you own this kid? He's not yours. One day he's going to fucking break up with you. I was just like, oh, my God, man. Like, even with surfing, I so want my kids to surf. I've, I've seen surf trips that I just take my kids on, and yeah. I've noticed how hard I was pushing my eldest boy to surf. Like, step the fuck back. Is that what he wants? He might want to be a ballerina. Like, open up everything that's possible to him. I could really see I was instilling, like, my, my stuff on him. And so it's it's a huge thing, Ian. Like it's huge. huge where where I, I've learnt that the hard way. From having my I think she was fifteen, my eldest say, What makes you think this has got anything to do with you, Dad? And it's like, <laughs> Damn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then the same thing, like so my young fella playing high level football for three years and both his parents being gutted when he decides to step away. But he's so much happier. Mm. And what you said about play, that's what he was saying. He said, my mates are all hanging out together and I'm training three nights a week and then pretty much all day Saturday, they're off doing stuff. I want to be doing that. Mm. And, yeah, it's like, uh, who, who was pushing this? Was this him or me? And, and, and it's like the sooner you can learn that, like it's not just the freedom it gives your child, it's the freedom it gives yourself because then you can turn your attention from trying to get them to do all the things you missed out on and actually 
live your own life and and do the things that you missed out on because you can still do them in a different way, but you can still do them. That's that's where I see a lot of parents that are the glory hunting because they've lost purpose within their own life. Yeah, and they start to relive it through their childhood. And so yeah, the yeah. invitation for the listeners is if you're catching that, what what's your purpose? Come yeah, back to that. Find that. Find that your reason to exist. Yeah, I know that's big for you. Like, so what what's some you say find that, but what's some advice you can give them when they are at that point? Like where where would they look? Uh it inwards. Inwards first. And so that's gonna be the inner compass. So inwards. Um, because a lot of time for these, I'm just going to generalize this, and this is for the, and the generalizations are coming from the men that are in my vortex, which are fathers that have teenage sons and daughters. And so they're usually in their 40s or 50s. They've gone through a position in their life that they've tried a few things, but then they've just settled and they've just succumbed to like, this is my life now. It's I go to work, I come home, it's all about the kids. And so they've lost their reason to exist. They've lost this motivation that drive what I call their mojo. And so my invitation for those men is to um, look into like, like go like in 10 years from now, where do you want to be? Do you still want to be here? Or you still have like life in you? Like it doesn't have to be like changing the world, but what do you want to do? What do you want to achieve? If you don't know that, go explore, try, but give it 30 days, whatever it is, give it 30 days and give it a hundred percent. So if it's, if it's if it's if it's if it's dancing, go fucking dance every week, man, and give it a hundred percent and playful out, just so that you can know, hey, that's not for me. The, the thirty days is so critical, yeah. Because too often people go, oh, this isn't working, and it's like I did it once. Know, something magical happens at one month, where suddenly it's whether it's a level of competency or you notice improvements or whatever it is. Often that's the time where some form of self-sabotage shows up as well, an injury, an illness, a distraction, whatever. If you can move past that one month, that 30 days, like that's when, yeah, sometimes, sure, this is not the right thing. But too many people give up at that point or before that point and they never get to find out if it was actually a thing. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I always start there. Um, and good. The other thing is um, the to look into how they want to feel because it's not the thing that we desire. It's, it's how that thing makes us feel that we actually desire. So these men, I'm just going to use the men as an example. And so these men that hit this groundhog day, like this loop, this like everything's just like mediocre. My life is just rinse and repeat. Um, they, they've lost their sense of freedom, purpose, motivation, drive, all of, they've lost all these feelings because they're in the mundane and they're literally in autopilot. Yep. So then finding how do you want to feel that you don't need to know what it is that you, how do you want to feel? And like finding like, what is it that you, how do you want to feel? And doing that first, like how do you, what do you want to feel? You want to feel confident, strong, courageous, energetic, whatever it is, abundant, then go find stuff to do. And then that's your inner compass. That's why I was saying go inwards first. Is find if if it if you find that, then cool, keep going. If you don't find that, try something else. This is where people um, when COVID happened, right? So many people, I don't feel free anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, because the government locked you down. Like so, you're you're getting dictated by the external environment, 
And I've got a, uh, one of my highest, one of my values is adventure. And so adventure is an unusual daring experience. And so I love the outdoors, all of our kids' names, the, the, the elements. My wife and I have been to 34 countries between us. So COVID happened. Can't go anywhere. Okay, cool. I could succumb to that or I could tap into my values. Okay, one of my values is adventure. How does adventure feel to me? It's exploring. It's unusual. It's daring. Man, we're pitching tents in the backyard, making cubby forts. Like, you put the adventure into the house. Like, it, like, so, like, I could still have that same feeling. I could still have that same feeling that being camping does inside my own house, but I was dictating it. Awesome. So, from that inner, um, I'm going to introduce you to a mate of mine who does uh, a podcast on adventure, which I think you'll be a great fit for as well. Um, mm. Mate, you, you, you shared some awesome stuff there just around that that whole purpose space and the how you feel is a big one because even the bad shit that we do and that people do is because of the belief that they'll feel better from doing it. So you think about even those guys you hung out with, of the ordinary things that they were doing, it was still because it was giving them something or they would believe that it would give them something. Yeah. Yep. The other thing around purpose that I've learned is that, and this will, I think you'll relate to this a lot, is that when we find something that helps other people get what we didn't get, then that's when it just gives us the absolute buzz. And if you think about exactly what you've described, your upbringing, searching for that leadership, and now you're helping other men to find that later in life as you have, like, man, what a gift. Yeah, man. It's so rewarding. It's the, it's so rewarding, and it was also detrimental because uh, I actually had an, another identity crisis um, when my daughter was born. So she's almost two, and so I built this men's movement here on the Sunshine. Coast. Oh, well, it was a global men's movement, but the chapter on the Sunshine Coast had five hundred local men, and we're doing meetups every every week, Tuesday morning, off off the beach, meetups every week. Um, and it grew that there was like 30, 40 men at meetups. And I started seeing a psychologist wanted to go, go clinically into the emotion of anger and, and I researched myself and my, my past. And I was starting to burn out and he did this process and I'd love to give this listeners this. He, he, he said, what do you got going on? I said, well, I've got the MindFit gym, I've got Blows Venture, I've got my three kids, I've got my wife, I've got um, the retreats that I'm running, I've got the, uh, again, LA to do this stuff and put everything out on the table. He's like, fuck, dude, you have so much going on. And um, I'm like, yeah, man, it's like, I think that's why I'm here. He's like, cool, uh, do you want to do a process? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, all right. Now, and why I was seeing him was like this frustration and resentment that was coming through that I was projecting on my wife and just not dealing with my emotions. So I wanted to clean that up. And he's like, cool. Um, I'm going to throw your life up in the air and I'm going to do it now. And he, he, he went like this on the, and he's like, ready? And he's like, throw it up in the air. I was like, fuck. And he goes, quick, grab one. And I'm like, fuck. And I went, the kids. And he's like, grab another one. I'm like, work. And he's like, is that cool? And I just broke, man. This balled my eyes out as it's like what the fuck i chose my kids and work where the fuck is my wife man that's why i'm here and that was my permission slip of like cool i need to let go of this this thing that i built i need to let it go and so i did to let go of cmb let go of the chapter was present with the pregnancy and just 
could have put a complete different ship. And then this is a baby that I built for four years, blood, sweat, tears. And like, but the thing that it was doing was this feel good was also, it was every day, man. So people patting me on the back, getting text messages from wives and children and community and so many people celebrating what I was doing that I forgot to do it for myself. Yeah. So that when I stepped away from CMB, I went through this thing of like, I'm not doing enough for humanity. I'm not helping enough people. But the thing was, it was feeding the ego. It was feeding this identity, blaze the facilitator. And so I created this thing that I wasn't worthy unless I was facilitating. But it was the biggest, beautifulest lesson within my business because now it's what you, it's having a conversation face-to-face with someone's wife about how connected they are again, that no one is ever going to see, that it's not on social media. Or when I got COVID on my three retreats ago, and so I had to step back. I couldn't do any facilitation. There's a big group photo. So I've got 34 men, 10 facilitators, videographer. They're all taking a photo. Not fucking one of them turned around and looked for me. Not one. I, wow. I was standing watching. And I was like, and this was the beautiful moment. It was this yeah. was the the aha moment, my big awakening of like, oh man, I can have this sense of fulfillment and pride in here, and no one other than me and spirit or me and God are witnessing this. And I just remember just weeping in this joy and gratitude, of like, look at that. It, it, it just, it's this thing, and it doesn't need me to work. How rewarding is that? And so that has been a really beautiful thing. So it's yes to that about the purpose. But just remember, if it goes, if that thing stops, are you still going to be content with yourself? Are you still going to feel fulfilled? Are you still going to feel pride? Um, that's the That was that double-edged sword. Yeah, 100%. And uh, the thing that I was really conscious through that was being able to do that without the validation that, that earlier had been so important. Yes, hundred percent. Yeah. It does feel good, man. Don't don't man. It does feel amazing. <laughs> it's addictive. You like it, but it's to be able to get to that point where you don't need it. Yes, hundred percent. Um, oh, the other thing I was conscious of: you th- all the things get thrown up in the air. You grab your kids and work, and the bit that you realise you didn't grab was your wife. But in my head, knowing my journey. What about grabbing yourself? Yeah, man. And and yeah. that's a that's a similar process. I like the throwing it up in the air, but I get people to put it in order, and I, I let people have their own journey. But there's one thing that I kind of uh, strongly suggest is when we talk about what's the priorities in your life. Yes, your kids are important. Yes, your partner's important. Yes, work's important. But if you're not having yourself at the top of that list then how on earth are you possibly going to be able to be the best parent, partner, business owner, work colleague, whatever it is? Yeah, man. I I learned those two lessons, the, the same lesson twice, super powerfully. So really quickly did a, a personal development workshop with my partner at the time. And there was eight people in the room and then you all got given sticks and the white people, and you had to go around and you had to give, it was, there's was a spaceship. So there's 12, 12 space on the spaceship to go. Everyone had to get it. You give your sticks out. Um, the people with the most stick get a seat on the, the spaceship. At the end of the process, I had the most sticks. Cool. Melinda was there and there's 12 of us on the spaceship, fucking dramatic music and everything. I'm like, oh, hang on a second. 
you got to step back and get off the ship if you didn't give yourself a stick. I was the only <laughs> motherfucker that didn't give myself a fucking stick, dude. And the, the, and the thing was beforehand, they gave us like an hour. Everyone had to, had to pitch. And so it was like 50, 50% of the room was like, fuck it, I'm out. I've had a good life. The other 40% were like trying to enroll each other, like, hey, why I should be in there. And I'm like, I've had a good life, man. Like, fuck, I've done so much cool shit. Sat down and was like, actually – Nah, fuck it. So I got got up and was like, actually, there's one thing that I haven't done. Like, yes, all this humanity stuff is everything, but I'm choosing to get on the ship for me because I'm I, I know that, I know that I'm destined to be a dad and I want to experience fatherhood. And so I'm going to come back for me. And like, literally, I was talking about I'm coming back for me to be a father. And when this dramatic music come off, I visualized the ship going off, and I'm just like, fuck. If I don't choose me, how the fuck am I even going to be a father? And so it was just this massive moment, man, in my life, like life-changing moment that I had to change, that I had to choose myself. The next thing is we got into a real – and so we'd had two kids, we had two boys, and we got deeply in it around some belief stuff with my wife, uh, fiancé at the time. And so we um, – uh, I started going into exploring plant medicine. And she's never done a drug in her life, never smoked a cigarette, never had a puff of a joint, super clean. Um, I've been super down the other way. And she's seen me, I relapsed and smoked ice seven years ago and I just met her. So she saw me like blow myself. That's when I first went and spoke to someone. So she's seen me at my worst. So she's got that version of me. And then to where she believes coming from. One of my mentors, um, he's he's a Native, Native American man, runs sweats and everything and um, paleo ceremonies. His mentor, who is like, was came to Australian shores, and was just like, man, my mentor's mentor can come and I can sit and do paleo. Like, I have to be there for that. Yeah. And she gave me an ultimatum. If you go, we're over. And she's like, what the fuck? And it was like, woof. And it's like, this is so important to me. So it was three days out. I went and sat in meditation, went and stayed at my mate's place, went down to Moffat Beach. I was just meditating. And I ran through my value system of my values of a man and went down the rabbit hole. What happens if I do this and we separate? And it's like, fuck, what do I tell my boys? And it's just like, how do I make fucking, how do I make this life-changing, altering decision? And I was like, I'm the only person that can judge myself. I'm going to make it from my values and alignment with my values. So I went through all of my values. Number one value is love, which is God or connection to spirit. And so with that, and it's my, my, my partner's phrase that I, I have adopted, love is, love is the answer and love will always find a way. So I'm like, well, if this is true love, it'll find a way. Fuck. Oh, wow. fuck. My next faith. Bro, my next well, my next value is trust, and it's not trust of other people or anything. It's trusting in the divine path. I was like, "What the fuck?" And then I went through the pecking order, and I was like, "Okay." And then uh, spirituality is part of my um, value system, and then I went through the the order of how I was choosing everything, and so I was like, "Okay." So it goes: Melinda, the kids, men's work. Where the fuck is where am I on that list? Where is my spirituality on that list? Holy if I faith is so important to me, and if I can't choose my faith and myself over everything, I'm a shell of a man. So I'm like, cool, I'm gonna go do this paeri ceremony. And I was super clean with it because if my, when my boys got of age, why why'd we split up? Because daddy stopped true to his values and everything I just said then I would explain to them. And so I, I was I was good with that. 
So when, and it was the most profound experience of my life. Um, they call peyote shimmering heart. Uh, that's the translation. And they did this song, man, that, um, this song that all the children on the planet know that they are loved. And they just keep singing this song. And it's like, that's what I believe. And I just remember weeping and weeping for hours, man, that I'd found this love and this connection and wasn't outside of myself. It was within my heart. And these people have been praying to this same prayer for eons. So, yeah, like then I came home and like actually when I came home, it was like two, three days later. So I was gone for about five days. All my shit, man, was out, out at the back. It was we're over. Um, but I'd had such a profound experience that I came home super grounded. It's like, hey, I love you more than anything. I'm here to raise our kids together, but this is the terms that I want to agree to. I want to pray from now on. I want to thank our food and I want to live a life of gratitude. Gratitude is one of my highest values as well. I want to be thankful for our life. I want the kids to know that each animal doesn't come from Woolworths. That is our life. That was a being that was killed so we can be nourished, that we live in abundance of everything. Um, I pray to the water before I surf and I completely have like, chosen faith and my belief and ritual and ceremony in that way of life and enroll my wife to do the same. And so now um, we've got another, we've got a daughter now and we pray, we don't say amen. We actually say aho, which is a men's work uh, phrase. Um, but my five-year-old, like, hey buddy, what do you want to say thank you for? Um, and the one thing that I want to tell my dad face to face is I just wanted to say thank you for my life because you could have pulled out, bro. You could have pulled out and you didn't. And because you didn't pull out, you gifted me this life, man. I just want to say thank you because I bought my heart for that. And I want to say it face to face. And this, uh, that was my big thing. I just wanted to do it face to face. He just wouldn't see me. My, my, he was four at the time. Breath, my eldest boy, turned to me. And I was going through all this with my dad. He turned to me. And I'd never said this to him. I'd, I'd said it, a version of it. But he turns to me. He's like, Daddy, thank you for my life. He's fucking four, dude. Four. Wow. And he said that at our prayer at dinner table. I was just bursting into tears. Like we always say, thank you for our life that we've been given. Thank you for this body. Thank you for all the abundance coming our way. But we've never directly, like he did that, man. Um, so, yeah, that was, but yeah, coming back to like, um, like values and like choosing myself, big soul sabbatical moments, man. Like massive, massive, like, holy fuck. I'm about to walk away from my fiance and two children. Because I'm not like haven't chosen myself. What the fuck? So good about the importance of values. Yeah, hundred percent. Who? That's the greatest gift when we do work on self. Is the impact it has for every person that we touch. But if you think of yourself as a parent not you, but the listeners, why would you not want the best for your children? And if, if you need anything to tip you over the edge to start this journey, it's that. Because when you change, they change. Mm-hmm. When, when your children are going through tough stuff, most people rush to go, I've got to get them the best help. The best help is you start with getting help for you. Because my children have been through their fair share of big stuff. And without... Uh, that's one of those things like, you know, you don't live with the regrets, but they're like, I, would, I don't know if I call it regret, but there's been some moments where, where I missed big stuff mm. because I didn't know what I know now. And yeah. 
thankfully they're both still here but what what if that hadn't been the case like and so what you've shared there just like if you're listening and you're like well i I don't know i can't do all of those things that seems way beyond me that's not like blazer's journey is blazer's journey you've got to go on your journey of whatever that is that you need to be able to come be able to overcome so that you can be able to share that gift with the people in your world so blaze thanks love that you shared that um thank you and i'd love to share something else around this around fatherhood work and like choosing so Kerwin ray business mentor um did some coaching with him and he put this video out and it fuck struck this big chord within me because I, I i love what i do with work like I, I love it i get a lot of enjoyment out of it and he said would you rather your children remember you as, as a as a as a father that was always on time for work or would you rather them to remember the, that you're a father that chose them? And the, what he was talking about is, um, you like, especially if you're away from home and the kids are getting a kindy and they're like, Daddy, I want to ride the bike. I said, oh, no, 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 I need to go to work, darling. And it's like, fuck, dude, you've worked for yourself. Like, go ride that fucking bike with your boy. And, and so I started doing that and the level of enjoyment and gratitude that he would have and that, that three, five minutes of presence for me being five minutes late and moving my fucking schedule for him changed the game for me. And it happened this morning, man. So I sent you a message, hey, bro, going to be five minutes late. My coaching calls going over because this exact thing. I've got home from a surf. I had 20 minutes before my coaching program and um, my eldest boy's like, daddy, can we put that rocket up in the air? It's his birthday. You've got this water rocket. You put half fill it with water, water um, yeah. put an air compressor in it. It fucking shoots like 30 meters in the air. So I agree. And last night it was too windy. And I said, no, nah, man, I can't last night. I don't want to go on someone's roof. And he's like, dad, there's no wind. And I'm like, oh man. And I was just like, I caught myself saying I need to. And that was the linguistics of like, I don't need to do fucking anything. Buddy, let's hook it up. So extension cords, compressor out the front. And I'm like, buddy, I've only got 10 minutes. I've got to set a timer so I can come on this thing. And so, yeah, man, we shot some rockets and he got wet. It was like, awesome, man. And it put me late. I, and I'm big about time being on time. So I was late for the first call um, with my team. That was the thing. And then sent your message and then had to clean up my stuff. But every time I was like, this is what I was doing. I value your time immensely, but that's why I was late. Um, and so, yeah, Kerwin taught me that one. And just that eight minutes I had with him, he's going to remember how we felt. Not what we did, but that I chose him. Um, so so yeah. good. So good. Um, my, my daughter, she's nearly 19 now, and she talks about whenever I jingle my keys in a certain way, it gives her a uh, horrible flashback to after-school care because she'd be listening out. We, we were always one of the last to pick him up. It was actually a big reason why we made so many changes, right? It was like, mm. our kids are getting the worst of us. Worse than that, they're not getting us. Mm. We're flogging ourselves, working crazy hours. and and uh, But... You can change. 100%. I was so fortunate, man. One of my, uh, I was about 19, 20, uh, 23, one of my foremen when I first started in construction, um, he's like, mate, and he was an old school, super heavy alcoholic, um, and he, we both fed into each other's addiction. So he'd always have a 30-pack of gold, uh, Powers Gold in his car. And he's like, all right, mate, jump in. And we do the rounds. 
And then, so we do all the rounds, make sure everything is good, go back to his place, just give him a piss. And he dropped me back and he paid me for a full day, even overtime and everything. So he just needed a drinking buddy. It was like that whole eldership thing. But one of the things, even though that was so negative, he used to say to me, mate, my daughter's 21. I don't even know her. This is just a fucking job. Make sure you don't dedicate your life to this and be a fucking drunk like me. And it just rung with me, rung with me, rung with me. And then it got to the point that I was like doing, I was building a shopping center at Redback Plains and I'd drive from the Sunshine Coast to there two and a half hours. I was a foreman do a 12 hour day, two and a half back for like months. I just got to that breaking point. I remember hitting the steering wheel. And this, like, there's got to be more to this fucking life. I was just exhausted. Like, fuck this. And like, I wanted to be a dad. I wanted to try for fatherhood, but I was just exhausted. Imagine adding a kid to that. And I was just like, that was that moment. Like, there's got to be a different way. And I remember Ivan, his name was Ivan Skinner. I think it was Ivan Skinner. He, he was like, it's, it's just a fucking job. You don't need the money. Like, and I was, yeah. Then I was like, cool. Well, what do I do? What do I want? What kind of life do I want? So I started designing that life before we had children, which was like, okay, cool. Construction is not going to be the lifestyle that I want. Um, it works for people and it's amazing. It's a beautiful way to earn a living, but it's just what didn't work for me. Yeah. Oh, and I love we've got that beautiful noise from your kids in the background as well. That's cool. Um, hey, uh, have you got a bit more time? Yeah, man. Yep. Um, I just want to touch on two things. There's so much to, that I could go, but I, I really I want to just focus on two main areas, if that's okay. Yeah, sure um, thing. So you mentioned uh, the the close the person close to you the suicide attempt. Can, mm -hmm. can you share a little bit about like how that impacted you? Uh, what that was like from your perspective, and like how that unraveled things for you in the aftermath. So it was maybe one thirty in the morning. I was in a nightclub, and this person walked in to the nightclub. And I was like partying on drugs, everything like that. And remember saying, hey, your friend has attempted suicide. Uh, no, no. Um, said their name has just killed themselves. And I remember drop, I was drinking JD, JD and Coconut a Rock Glass. I remember that drop, dropping the Rock Glass and watching it. No music. <clears throat> Not, and just watching it in super slow motion smash over the ground. And then it's like, what the fuck? And so, yeah, ran back home and um, I was pissed. So I got my partner time to drive and my friend came with me, drove from the Sunshine Coast to Toowoomba. Oh, so I drove. I'm, I drove because I got to the base of Toowoomba and I'm trying to ring the hospital. Is he alive? Just please just tell me if he's alive. Like, and they're like, we can't disclose that information. We can't disclose it. It's like, what the fuck? Got to the bottom of the range and my whole body shut down. I couldn't drive. I was just in this convulsion, like, like this, this shock. Um, get to a house and um, his mum got home and said, um, you got to be you got to be tough. you got to be strong for, for, for him. He, he's okay, but you just got to be strong. And I remember because um, he was at a party and so he come home. It was like really early in the morning and had all these bandages on him, but he wanted a shower. So I had to put plastic bags on his arms and duct tape them. And I remember the emotion coming up of how, um, 
how much pain I, and sorrow and grief I had with that. And I pushed that fucking down, man. Like pushed it and pushed it and pushed it. And then when he went to bed, I went out the back of that house and just bore my eyes out on my own in the fucking dark. Um, and like like taboo. And so yeah, that undelled emotion just that was just horrendous. And so that that set me on that wild that wayward thing. Came back to the coast. And um, yeah, just I, I'm. A, I think I hadn't I hadn't used my fists, hadn't gotten into a fight um, for like since I moved to this coast, and it wasn't too long after that I got in a fight and really hurt someone again. Um, and so yeah, just didn't know how to deal with any any of that, man. The um, and so I didn't tell anyone either. I didn't tell anyone, hey, I'm just going through this. Like someone close to me tried to kill himself um, and I've, like, it's really affected me. And at the time I was managing a nightclub. So I was like 20, 22 years old managing a nightclub. And so I had free drugs, free alcohol. Um, and the harder that I partied, the more limelight I chased, the more the party went off. And so I was like, fuck, I'm just going to keep having these big parties and forget about this pain. And that was... Yeah, it went on for years. So is that what ultimately led to to the uh, moment of ODing and then and then awakening to a different way? Yeah, so within construction they had this uh, there's a company or uh, or a charity called MIC, Mates in Construction, which is a suicide prevention company. And so I did suicide alertness training when I was like twenty four. Did didn't have the emotional intelligence, didn't tell them about the thing that happened two years ago. Um, so I became a connector. So a green sticker on my hard hat, men could come to me, seek counsel, and I'll put them onto a counselor. So um, the, the, the limelight chasing it was the first time I tried acid, went to this festival and I was, um, had this amazing time. It was like beautiful, euphoric feeling. Um, and I had all of these fake people around chicks with fake tits, fake hair, fake everything. Um, dudes like was on steroids. Like it was just all this fake stuff. And I just remember having an amazing time. And I'm like, I want to have this again. So all these people that I met asked them to come to my house the next week, got a DJ into my house and took double of everything I had from that festival. So I had two tabs of acid. I snorted two pills um, and then had something else as we drove to this nightclub, um, the Met in um, Brisbane. Got into the VIP thing and I remember standing on this rail, music's playing. I think Calvin Harris was there or someone, someone big was there. I remember just looking around all these lights and everything. We had like a bottle service. I remember thinking to myself, I've made it, but this is it. I was at the fucking peak of everything. And then all the gear hit. And I was just like, <laughs> and it was a mo, it lasted for three days. And I could see entities that are attached to people, like fucking gremlins, man, like the, the horror show. But they weren't attached to everyone. Um, so, and, and yeah, the, so I walked outside, just like trip, what the fuck? I remember there was this homeless dude, so I had a chat to him. It was the most conscious conversation I've ever had. Um, and uh, I'd pissed myself. And because I'd pissed myself, I was at the front of this, like, ritzy nightclub. They asked me to move on. I wouldn't move on. And they um, they tried to – they rate, They said, I'm going to ring the police. So in between the time that the police, the first paddy wagon turned up and this conversation with this major D, um, I had this realisation that I was God. 
And he says, I'm God. I'm like, and I walked into the middle of the valley, the Fortitude Valley, and I put my hands up and all of the cars stopped. And I walked out into the middle of four lanes and there's all the reality was sparkly and everything. And then they were moving like fucking super slow-mo. And then I walked all the way back and then continued the thing, uh, conversation with the homeless dude and went like that with my hand and all the traffic started. So I'm not sure if, like, that if I actually bent time and space or it was uh, – uh, but I remember physically doing that. Like it wasn't a, a hallucination. I was physically doing that. So whether it was a super fast vision or something. Anyway, so the policeman turned up. I'm like, well, I'm fucking God. There's four policemen and I like cleaned all four people up on my own. They called for reinforcements. It took nine police officers to put me in a paddy wagon and then they put me into a padded cell. So locked me in a padded cell and back at this, I was 27. So ISIS was like going nuts through social media and everything and all that dark black shit, like real heavy stuff. Like I'd, um, I remember a friend that was part of that like mafia crew sort of thing was uh, they had this black, it was a, a DVD, it was in a black case and it had no name and it was black and it was all people getting killed. Like I used to watch that shit, man. It was just so dark. So get in this padded cell and because I'd hurt all these police officers, they were super fucking rough with me and they pinned me, one of them pinned me down and put his, um, his um, foot on my head and as they were like processing me on, on this, in the padded cell, foot on my head, I could hear these people, um, like these like screams because I put all people coming off heroin and stuff in there. And so I can hear these people screaming and I had a hallucination that they're killing my sister and raping my sister, that my mum's getting murdered, that they're killing my dad. I, I thought that these guys were ISIS and because I was God and they were demons, they were trying to fucking kill me because I was like, like, anyway, yeah. So I got to this point that, um, that my head was down and they're about to slice my head off and decapitate it within a vision. And I'm like, just had this flash like i've had a good life i've had an amazing life and so i just like i don't have anything else to live for they've killed all my family fuck it i let go and so when i let go i wake up and i'm in this room reality and there's like uh people i can see people really clear really vivid from like their head to like they're just below their torso below their like um, groin area but they didn't have like legs and there was like Hundreds of people, man, like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that I knew. And then so I thought, what the fuck? What's going on? Like, where the fuck are we? And then next thing, I wake up and I'm sitting in the middle of the padded cell in full lotus. And I've never meditated before in my life. So, is, so and so I'm like, what the fuck was that? And so end up getting out of the padded cell and there's a long journey I went on for like two days. I won't go into that. It was like fucking horrendous, man. Like just, I, yeah, it was like I drove a fucking car, my work ute, off the Warrego Highway at 120 kilometres and I, I thought that I could like fucking chase a cloud, man. And how I didn't hit a fucking fence or a tree, like it's nuts, like how I didn't die. But after I started coming to... Um, I, I, what, I was so, released. Sorry, so they just released you? Um, so, yeah, the, after a little, uh, I remember pissing at the, like, I'm like, how the fuck do I get out of here? And I went straight back in the trip thinking these guys are going to try to kill me. So I pissed at the, the, um, at the door 
and they must have saw it on CCB, CCB and they put me in this holding cell. And then I remember at, like attacking an, uh, uh, an Arab dude in there because I thought everyone was against me. I thought everyone was trying to kill me, man. Mm. Uh, but I was able to like point at like say that whiteboard and go like that and go purple, like whatever I want. It was I was able to move and shift everything. It was just crazy, crazy trip. Um, and so all I wanted to do was go back to my mum and she lived in Toowoomba. So I drove from Brisbane to see mum and it took me two days and we were working in a small country town called Gatton. So I stopped, uh, I stopped there and went and apologised to everyone. I went on like a soul sabbatical, went and apologised to my team um, and like went on this like just cleaning up my shit and just like apologising to the way I spoke to them and like my undercurrents of like judging them and like like me putting like all the judgments I had about them in my head when cleaned all of that up. I got to mum's place. Mum was freaking the fuck out. And I remember the last thing I said to my mum is like, mum, I'm going to go to sleep right now. And what I'm going to do is blow myself into billions and trillions of pieces so I can experience myself. Now, knowing what I know now is that's pretty much what consciousness is doing. So like I tapped into something which was really amazing. So had a day off work, went to work, and then I'm like, what the fuck was that? And the only people that ever knew that meditated was I studied Buddhism at school in grade 11, and I knew that monks meditated. It's like, fuck, I want to read, I want to find what that thing was. Like that, that, that real, that reality I saw was so real. Like, what was that? So I ended up studying Buddhism for three years. Um, and so I literally, for months, this I'd finish work, I'd go home and just read Dharma. I've got so many Buddhism books here and just read and read and, and study and just like meditate. And that's what started that journey. And through that self-discovery of like, what is this? I met this this amazing gentleman. His name was Richard Munsey. He was, he was working for me. He was a machine operator. And he said, man, you're not like all these other men. You're reading um, every single night when you get back. You're not on the booze. You got this thing about you. What are you chasing, man? I'm like, there's this thing called enlightenment that I've heard that Buddhists were teaching. I think that I've experienced something like it. Um, and I think I want to become a Buddhist. And he said to me, um, Do you know that you don't have to reach enlightenment if you're, you don't have to just be a Buddhist? And then he goes, I've got a book for you. And he gave me the power of now, Eckhart Tolle's power of now. And so him and I formed this amazing bond. And so I had this one person in my life that fucking got me. I didn't have to, that Buddhism thing. I hid from everyone. I was going to a temple every Sunday. No one knew. It was just me. Yeah, yeah, all days. Didn't tell yeah. anyone. Because I was, I was still around all these dudes dealing cocaine and like, cheating on their wives, all this stuff. So I was like living a complete polar life, like complete polar. Um, so him and I really connected deeply. And um, that's when I started like personal development. That's when I started, like, I actually went to an Eckhart Tolle retreat, went on a soul sabbatical, went to South America, um, sober. Um, the first time I never cheated on a partner. And so it was, I was with my ex then. And so I really stepped into myself, came back to Sunshine Coast, donated a lot of time to Chen Resig, the Buddhist Institute here. Um, and it was my first, like, um, real big service work. So... Um, I saw all the nuns had like uh, dirt ramps and, and st they had stairs and they had walking frames and everything. So pulled together because I was still in construction, this massive big like all meals, big Wagner's concrete, like big people. And um, we concreted all the paths up there, uh, all donated. And um, so that was like, the first uh, thing that I found my purpose of like donating my time. 
um, okay. just better service. Um, actually, my, I, I was out two, two weeks. My wife and I have been together seven years since on the 24th of January. And she was, we've been dating two months. I'm like, hey, can you come out with me to Chen Resig? I'm, I'm about to take the vow to become a Buddhist. And that's when we met. Um, and so, yeah, she came out the first day. I had this question and asked this question. The nun gave an answer that went for about an hour and a half. I'm like, yep, cool. This, this, I can't vow to become a Buddhist because integrity is super important to me. Uh, I've been my word, and I would have broken that vow so many fucking times with lying and alcohol and not eating meat. So I decided not to become a Buddhist, but I love a lot of their philosophy. Um, hence, breath is our eldest boy's name. And yeah, um, so yeah, that was that was that. And so the big shift of why I left construction to do what I do was MIC, Mates in Construction, came back into the construction industry. Hey, we're going to redo that suicide alertness training. When I redid it, I broke down in the, in the workshop. And so I actually grieved the friends at suicide attempt in front of all these men. And I had this really beautiful opportunity that um, – our company, uh, a subcontractor fucked up a big Bunnings job. And so I had to go to Bunnings and babysit them to Sikaflex over three kilometers of cracks up in this slab at a Bunnings. So I was there for like three months, man. Just all I had to do was sit in the car, paid on full salary for eight hours. Like, oh, what am I going to do with this time? So I read the one, um, Neil Donald Walsh uh, book, Conversations with God. Read that. Then I started yeah. asking myself big questions. Who am I and why am I here? And then I came to those big realizations. Construction is not for me. Oh, love it! Isn't yeah. it amazing when when we have a desire to change that the circumstances show up that allow us to? Because people often get caught in this. But how am I going to do that? Well, just manifest a uh, job where you get to sit in your car for eight hours a day and still get paid, right? <laughs> Full salary. I started like trying to learn guitar. Um, <laughs> play video games for a bit. And like, actually, this is. I think there's a, a reason I'm here. So and then good. someone told me to read conversation. I've got it, man. It's a conversation got and still got the price tag. And it was seven dollars. It was from a used bookstore. And Richard Munsey, that dude, we were down at like Wagulga or some place that his family had this holiday home on the coast. And he's like, bro, you should go to this. Um, uh, there's a, a op shop book. They got all these spiritual books in there, man. Go in and choose one. And that's the book that I chose. How good. And the next thing I read that and just all those questions and had these epiphanies of like, oh, I'm not actually my body. Um, there's something greater within me that isn't blaze. Oh. So, yeah. Mind-blowing, mate. So <laughs> it was. Thank you. thank you for sharing all of that. Uh, love it. Um, I've shared some of my crazy stories, like the stuff that I went through in Bali around visions and so on. So most of the audience won't be um, unfamiliar with those sort of uh, <laughs> stories. Um, and the other thing I, wanted, I really want to touch on, and it's funny, I'm getting shown it again, like like sort of it's significant. When you're told as a seven-year-old you're now the dad, uh, from from my own personal experience and from from so many people I talk to, the the learning is I'm now responsible for everyone else, and it becomes such a hard wide response. I and mean, we see it again. We come back to the parents thing: is the the feeling of being responsible to keep everyone else happy, to keep everyone else whatever. Some of the things you talked about, particularly in that early stages, was very much a link to that 
responsibility. I need to be there for these people. Like how how hardwired was that? And and what how have you been able to to create that change where where what you're describing now is being able to be self-responsible and how that's changed your life? Yeah, man. The the first thing is I couldn't do it on my own. Like um, I needed help and support with unwiring it all. It was just so heavily ingrained, especially being the eldest of five as well and just and like breaking through that belief. Um, and the other i think for me too is it's the 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 way that i was getting validated the way that i I was i was getting a sense of love and worth was through through doing but the doing was from a very dominant way a very masculine way um and so like on the footy field direct hard fast action straight away react like react without even thinking how fast can you react job site was exactly the same so the big unwiring for me Oh, even and that happened as a kid too. So I was like, "Oh fuck! I've just got to take action." Like she's going to pay a show. Just take action. That little kid looking after brothers and sisters. The biggest unwiring for me has been now being married and having three children is to soften and to not be that masculine, direct, forceful, my way, highway, like man. Because that's that's not what I want to be. That's not what's required of raising the family, and it's not who I desire to be. So that is my work and it's my constant work because it's, it's I catch it in so many different areas. Like think, that, oh, yeah, cool. It's not ah, in this area, in this area, it'll come back in and sneak its way in. So um, one of the things that I do a lot is break my state. So after I work, I make sure that I go take a proper time, so 15 minutes for myself and ground myself. Let's go into nature, look at the sunset, be in nature and just be. So I've actually done something for me. So that then I come back in and I'm like more loving than that warrior beast mode dude that's working. So that's a huge, huge thing. And even my partner, she'll, she'll go ground. I'll get the kids and it'll, it'll be going nuts, but she just knows I'm not handling it. Go ground. I'll get out. I, you're, you're, you're useless to me because it's going to be worse if you're not coming back centered. So yeah, that's been that unwiring. Um, the As a business owner, that um, it's it's a really fine dance of that saviour coming up, that hero, like being caught in that drama triangle of like wanting to save everyone and um, especially some of my coaches that are still in a job that isn't their purpose. And it's like, oh, I've got to be the man to provide that for them. Like that's the thinking, that big brother or that fatherhood figure. But mm. as a business perspective, that's not the best move right now. Yeah. Because like it's going to be a bigger expense, like it's it's an aspiration, but it doesn't need to happen straight away. So as a business owner, it's been super challenging. It's, I, I really see that um, really being re highlighted, um, and some negative things that were or some ineffective things would be even back when I was a foreman, I would burn out so much because I'd give the shirt off my back and I'd offer my time and my energy, my space to fucking everyone um, other than myself like the saviour would. So that was the big things about choosing myself, making sure I surf regularly, making sure I have support, seek counsel from other people, go to other people's workshops and retreats, be held, like leaders need to be held too, um, do the work like and create space. Like this camping holiday 
since I've been in business with myself, we uh, went away two weeks ago, went away for seven days and did no coaching calls, no social media, didn't reply to anyone. It's the first time I've ever done that for seven days straight um, in five years. Uh, it was amazing. It was, it was amazing. Come back to a shit show, with like, but it was like I needed that. And so, yeah. And so the family. So good. Uh, it comes kind of brings us full circle and something we were talking about at the start is being able to prioritise self and make time for self and renewing through self, not through the external validation or by or by service. They're important parts, but not like not the thing that's going to drive everything. So uh, mm -hmm. I love that that's where you've uh, – that's how you've answered that. Really powerful. Um I love the uh, interaction from your daughter there when you were talking about that stuff too around, <laughs> around you, the dad. It's like she was here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. It's uh, interesting. Good. Like she's the loudest of the three, man. Like she's just found her little voice, man, and make sure she's heard with two big brothers. So awesome. Uh, yeah. Should be strong. Um, she will. I'll, I'll let you get back to your family, Blaze. This was awesome. Really enjoyed it. Thank you so much, brother. Mate, thank you for the space to, to chat and open up. It was, uh, yeah, it was, it was raw too. There was a couple of things I hadn't spoken about for a while, which is uh, it was beautiful to have that space, mate. So enjoy the conversation. Good to hear. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grief Code podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please share it with a friend or family member that you know would benefit from hearing it too. If you are truly ready to heal your unresolved or unknown grief, let's chat. Email me at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com. You can also stay connected with me by joining the Grief Code community at ianhawkinscoaching.com forward slash the grief code. And remember, so that I can help even more people to heal, please subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform.